Good morning. The Bible reading today is from Judges chapter 2, verses 6 to 23, which can be found on page 243. That's Judges chapter 2, 6 to 23, on page 243 of the Church Bibles. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance, at Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them up out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders, Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of the enemies for as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Thanks for praying, and thank you so much for coming to Highfields today. And uh, if you didn't get a handout, um, they're being waved at me at the back. And uh, stick up a hand, and uh, Chris will run around and present you with one, if you'd like. We've got uh, uh, primary age and secondary age handouts, uh, so um, uh, that's the age limit, though. We don't go higher. But we can maybe do some more in future weeks. Uh, good to have you here, and it'd be lovely if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Judges, chapter 2, uh, page 243.
And as we uh, just begin, I wonder, what is the Bible all about? What is the Bible all about? It's full of amazing characters. And uh, it's fun to do character studies. We did a character study several years ago. If you remember, as we were coming out of lockdown, and we studied the life of Joseph and what an inspirational character Joseph is. And maybe you're here today, and uh, you normally are in uh, Trailblazers. And it's really great to have you with us, uh, children. We love uh, having children in our services, and uh, you're really, really welcome. And uh, maybe you've read Bible stories with your mum or dad or granny or grandpa at the bedtime, and you've heard about Joseph or Daniel or Jacob or David and these wonderful uh, men or people like Ruth or Esther or Deborah, wonderful women of God in the Bible, and they inspire us. And we think, maybe I could be a little bit like Esther, or I could be a little bit like David, or I could be a little bit like Othniel, who we're going to think about next week. Um, But is the Bible about showing us people who help us to be a bit more like them? And we see those people and we say, I want to be a little bit more like Daniel. I want to be a little bit more like David, a little bit more like Moses, a little bit more like Isaac. They are men and women of faith. And the Bible does hold them up to us as examples to us. But there's something much more important about the Bible than holding up examples for us to be like. Let's see this short video uh, that uh, was produced a number of years ago by uh, the late Tim Keller. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all, while God said to Abraham, Now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord, and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job. He's a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. (laughs) Is that a type? See, that's not typology, that's an instinct. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says, when I perish, I'll perish for them, to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's, he's the real Passover lamb. He's... He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about you. It's about Jesus. Uh, 
which is why it was lovely to sing that new song, Christ the True and Better Adam, that we began with. We uh, were on holiday a couple of weeks ago, and we were singing that song all week. And uh, knowing that I was about to preach a sermon on Jacob, we spent most of our car journeys trying to make up a verse that was about Christ the True and Better Jacob. So as we go over the course of our studies, maybe you can uh, take that song and... uh, Write a verse about Christ the true and better Jehu, or Christ the true and better Othniel, or Christ the true and better Deborah, or whoever we study over the course of our studies in the book of Judges. The Bible is all about Jesus, and he wants to be Lord of every single area of your life. The Bible is all about Jesus, and he wants to be all about you, and in every part of your life. Just like there's no part of the Bible where Jesus isn't there somewhere, he wants your life. Boys and girls, mums and dads, parents, friends, he wants Jesus to be in every single part of your life today. We're going to start with a question, and uh, this is the question, oh by the way, I'm going to start by telling you about uh, Tim Keller's brilliant book, Judges for You, and if uh, you're going to be with us at Highfield over the summer months. Uh, This is well worth picking up, and it's a really good Bible study. There are some Bible study notes as well that have been produced to go with that uh, book, Uh, an excellent uh, guide. Uh, Here's the question I'd love you to have a think about. What areas of your life do you find it hard for Jesus to be Lord over? Okay, if, if we're saying that the Bible is full of Jesus everywhere you go, well, our lives should be full of Jesus everywhere we go. But it's actually possible to have parts of our lives where we think, you know, I don't really want you to be Lord there, Jesus. I want to be Lord there. So here's a question. I'm going to give you two minutes to have a little think about it. You might want to do this quietly. Uh, If there are people who uh, you know well, family members, uh, housemates, friends who sit near you, and uh, you may want to talk with them and say, what areas of your life do you find hard? Because it's quite easy to point our finger and say areas that our world doesn't have Jesus Lord in. But it's a bit harder to do it with ourselves, isn't it? So we're going to have two minutes just to have a little reflect quietly or with a friend. What areas of our life do we find it hard for Jesus to be Lord over? And maybe talk to someone about it. Is that OK? Maybe if you've got your worksheets, you might even want to write it down. I'll start the clock. Go. Okay, let's uh, look up there and uh, maybe have a conversation with the person who you shared that with if you did uh, later on in the day, maybe over coffee, maybe over lunch. Uh, I have to say for me, the phone is one of the hardest places for Jesus to be Lord over. Uh, just my, the time I spend on my phone, it's so, so easy to pull me away in terms of my distractions. But Jesus needs to be Lord of everything that I am and have. Okay, let's do a quick bit of background to judges. We're not to be thinking about judges like this. Uh, uh, people, I was going to say funny people, but I've got a good friend of mine who's a high court judge, so he's not funny. Uh, but he does wear one of those big curly wigs. And uh, children, maybe you've uh, seen uh, judges like this in cartoons. People who, uh, who work in courtrooms and have big wigs. Uh, that's not the judges in the book of Judges. I know judges were warrior rescuers who were around uh, 1200 BC. That's 3,000 years ago, around the Bronze Age, if you studied that at school. And uh, sometimes they were pretty good. Other times they were really pretty bad. But in each case, they point forward to Jesus. Because the Bible isn't ultimately about Othniel or Jehu or Deborah or Shamgar or Elud or the, the 12 judges that make up the book of Judges. 
it's ultimately always about Jesus. It points forward. So when there's a bad judge, when they make mistakes, they make us think, oh, we long for a good judge, a true and better version of this who will never make mistakes. When uh, we see a good judge, we think that's exactly what a rescuer could be like. We long for someone who will be permanent, who won't just die and his ministry end like that particular good judge, maybe Gideon say. So we're in the history part of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you get Joshua. And the book of Joshua, which comes just before Judges in our Bible, is all about God's work in and through his people to keep his promises. We've sung, haven't we? God always keeps his promises. And God promised to bring the people into the promised land and uh, to defeat their enemies and to to give them rest. And uh, at the start of the book of Joshua, this is what Joshua is commanded by God. Do you have a look at the words on the screen? Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's a famous verse, and it's a rightly famous verse. A great promise of God to Joshua that God would be with Joshua as Joshua entered into this new, scary, promised land. And then that message gets out to all the people. So this is what Joshua, uh, how they respond to Joshua in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 16. Then they answer, Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we, will fu- we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whoever, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And uh, you can see at the start of the book of Joshua, they're really, yeah, we're going to do this. And the promised land is called Canaan. And there's a little picture of it on the screen. And by the end of the book of Canaan, uh, by the end of the book of Joshua, the 12 tribes have been allocated their allotments all over, um, all over the promised land. Now, if you've got a, a map on the back of your handout, you might want to kind of try, if you can see, it might be hard to see further back, but if you want to try to jot down some of those places on the back of the map, you can do if you want to. But while, while you're doing that, let me read out what the people say at the end of the book of Joshua, uh, because the book of Joshua is all about these people uh, going and taking over the land and being given these promised uh, places that God had promised for them. Lots of military success, and they've entered the land, and then they reaffirm, they say again how much they are committed to God. And uh, the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. That's in Joshua twenty four twenty four. And it's clear that the message of the book of Joshua is God always keeps his promises. No word that God ever said failed, didn't ever fall to the ground. It was always kept, which means God's people can always trust him. If God's word failed, then maybe we would have a reason to say, you know, I'm not going to follow God today because God's word wasn't true, so maybe I'll wander away a bit. No, God's word is always true, which means we're called always to follow him and worship him and love him. 
And the book of Judges, which is the very next book in our Bible, so now if you're in Joshua, you can flick over to Judges. The book of Judges tells a story of whether they did this or not. Did they serve the Lord our God and obey him? Did they do that or did they not? Now, does anyone here know whether they did or didn't do what they said they were going to do at the end of Joshua? Does anyone know? Any, 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 anyone of the children here knows whether the people in the book of Judges did or did not do what they promised? Anyone know the answer to that question? Anyone have a clue? Yeah, Owen? No, they did not. Sadly, they did not do what they promised in Joshua chapter 1 and chapter 24. And the message of the book of Judges is really helpfully summarised in three times right at the end of the book of Judges. Judges 18 verse 1, Judges 19 verse 1, and Judges uh, 21 verse 25. And uh, let me put on the screen, hopefully you've got down some of those places, so I'm going to flick on the map. In those days, Israel had no king, Judges 18.1. In those days, Israel had no king, Judges 19.1. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit, Judges 21, verse 25. Now, they didn't have a king. God was their king. They didn't need a a human king. But rather than worshipping and following God as their true king, they pushed God away And everyone did as they saw fit. So if one person wanted to live their life this way, they went that way. If someone else wanted to live their life this way, they went that way. Someone else wanted to go that way, they went that way. Who cares what God says? Who cares what God's word says? I'm going to do what I see fit. I see this is a good path. I see that's a good path. I see this is a good path. And my goodness me, as soon as you read that, you think, that's incredibly like 2023, isn't it? It's incredibly like 2023, everyone doing what they think is right, in their own eyes, older versions say. I want to live my life this way, I want to live my life that way, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to ignore that God is there. At first sight, when we read the book of Judges, there'll be times in our studies over the next few weeks where it will feel pretty weird at times, ancient, out of touch. We're in remarkably similar situation to today, um, friends. Because we too have been called by God to live in faithful obedience to him in a world that hates God. And we're going to feel the pull of the world around us. And the temptation to take the same kind of views as the world around us. And to conform our desires with what the world tells us to desire. And what the world has trained us to desire. And that what the world has kind of pumped the gas All the time, 24-7, love this, love this, love this. And you know what? We find our hearts starting to love this, whether it's a phone or whether it's popularity or whether it's money or whether it's a relationship. When the world says, if you don't have this, you're nothing, we hear the world's messaging, don't we? And we feel its pull and we're pulled away. Now, uh, before uh, we dive into our Bible passage, there's one particular question which some of the grown-ups might be thinking about. And I thought it'd be right to, to give a, just a couple of minutes to this, because whenever you read Joshua and Judges, part of us, with 21st century years, get a little bit twitchy, all this language of invading another country and taking it over. You know, that sounds a little bit like what Putin is doing with Ukraine. Like, why is it okay in the Bible and not okay in the world? Now, that's a massive question, and it's a really hard question, and it's an important question, 
But maybe um, if you're you've hearing this, these passages for the first time, you're going to be wrestling with that. Well, let me just give you a couple of three very quick responses to that question. It's a huge question, and uh, I should say that uh, Tim Keller's uh, book, Judges View, has got a nice appendix where he addresses this in, in, in a way. But um, three quick things. Firstly, this is not ethnic cleansing that is taking place in the book of Judges and Joshua. It's not that a particular race is being eliminated like Sadly, it has, you know, took place with uh, Hitler in Nazi Germany, trying to eliminate the Jews. No, for example, Rahab, who is an outsider to God's people, is welcomed into God's people. And uh, God loves to welcome people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue to worship him and to, to honour Christ. So this is not ethnic cleansing that we're reading about in Joshua and Judges. Neither is it what you might call imperialism. Um, the, the sense of we're going to try to you know, take over this country in order to get all their stuff and make them all slaves. No, that's not the purpose of what is going on in Joshua and Judges. Uh, the purpose is not to become rich and powerful, but instead to, to, to create a country where the people of Israel can love and serve God without any distraction. And uh, so it's, it's, it's different from what uh, we see in other, in other times and places. But I suppose the third answer to that question is... Wars that we see in the Bible are acts of God's judgment. It wasn't that there was this innocent people over there doing their own thing and in comes this invading army brutalising them. Rather, the people who were there originally were sticking their fist up at God, hated God, setting their children on fire, doing horrific things. And yet, because God is God, he could just leave those nations to rebel against him in his Goodness and his holiness, he enacted and, and, and commanded directly the people of Israel to go and bring a judgment on those nations. Ultimately, one day, the whole world will have to give an account to God. We studied that earlier on in the year with the book of Amos. One day, the whole world will stand before God and will face judgment and will be separated, those who have turned and trusted in Jesus and those who haven't. It'll be a, a, an incredible day, the great day of judgment, the last day. And in a sense, the book of Judges and Joshua uh, before it are a little precursor to what will happen one day to all of God's enemies. So it's not ethnic cleansing, this is not imperialism, and it is an act of God's judgment against people who oppose God. And so we've got to be very careful. In fact, I would urge you not to apply these passages into modern geopolitics, which sometimes people have done. And they've said, therefore, this is why one country can invade another country. This is why we should go on the Crusades and fight people into the kingdom of God. No, we don't fight. That's not Jesus' way, is it? He didn't come to to bring a sword. The weapons of his war are the spiritual armour. The, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That's how people come to Christ, not when they have a sword in their face, as they hear the Gospel of Jesus and bow to him. Well, as I say, the back of this book is really helpful on that. So we're going to just dive into our passage. We're going to do really overview stuff uh, this morning. Uh, chapter 1, which we didn't uh, read, it's really a bit of a collection of press releases about the Israelite campaign in uh, uh, Judges chapter 1. And uh, it's their spin on why it wasn't really as successful and as, uh, as powerful as they had hoped. So if you've got your Bibles open, why don't you look at chapter 1, verse 19 of Judges. So here we go. Chapter 1, verse 19. The Lord was with the men of Judah. 
they took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove from it the three sons of Anak. The Benjaminites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Okay, that's a bit of a snapshot of what has taken place throughout chapter 1. It's describing a summary of how that land allocation has gone. And the people are all over the promised land, yes. But they've left the Canaanite nations around them. Here's Tim Keller in his commentary. The Israelites now live alongside idol-worshipping Canaanites. Like buried mines, these idols lie dormant in Judges 1, ready to explode in the spiritual lives of God's people. So that's chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, we get the explanation for what has taken place in chapter 1. Have a look down in verse 1 of chapter 2. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land but you shall break down their altars. So that was what was commanded. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said I will not drive them out before you. They will become trapped to you and their gods will become snares to you. You see, the reason the Israelites wanted to leave the people in the land as they were was because they wanted to embrace their neighbours' idolatry. They didn't want to smash down the idols and the altars and the Asherah poles. Let's just imagine for a moment going in a time machine. Imagine we had a time machine, boys and girls, and, uh, uh, and uh, we uh, set minus 3,323 on the time clock on our time machine. Okay? We get into our time machine and we fly off and we land again. Maybe you uh, watch um, uh, Superbook where they have a time machine. Um, but we've back in the time machine, we land in the time of the judges, the Bronze Age, we open the door and we've come back to Israel and uh, we visit Dan and Debbie uh, and their two grown up children, uh, one of whom has left home and uh, you arrive in their dining room and these are the people of God and you're excited to be with fellow believers you think and uh, they start eating their food and you say, excuse me Dan, are you not going to give thanks for the food before we eat? Oh sorry, of course. And uh, Dan uh, closed his eyes. Dear Yahweh and Lord Baal and Lady Ashtoreth, thank you for this food. Amen. You're like, what? Dear Yahweh and Lord Baal and Lady Ashtoreth, thank you for this food. Amen. Like, what are you doing? Who are Lord Baal and Lady Ashtoreth? Yahweh brought you out out of Egypt, not Lord Baal and Lady Ashtoreth. Oh, they're the gods of Joe's fiancés, mum and dad. They're grown up. Son, who's engaged to be married to a local Canaanite uh, woman. They're very nice people and we're so happy that Joe's marrying into their family. They've, they've helped us build this little shrine that we've put on our mantelpiece. And we light candles each day to Lord Baal. And we pray that Lady Ashworth would provide us with food. You think, what about the Bible? What is, you're like, excuse me, Dan, like, what about the Bible, the Torah? God said, make no other gods before me. Come, come, says Dan. You in the 21st century take the Bible so seriously and literally. They, you know, just, the Bible is it's more dynamic than you allow it to be. You know, we prefer to worship God our way. This is how we see fit. We see that we'd like to have Lord 
Baal and Lady Ashtoreth as well as Yahweh in our home. And we don't want to offend our neighbours because they worship Lord Baal and Lady Ashtoreth. And we find Lord Baal and Lady Ashtoreth really make an excellent addition to our daily worship. That's crazy, isn't it? Terrifying. But again, it's so up to date, isn't it? It's incredibly up to date. In the 19th century, uh, if you know the name Thomas Jefferson, 18th century, 19th century, uh, he liked Jesus, one of the the founding fathers of the US, but he didn't like all those miraculous things that uh, Jesus did in the Bible. And uh, his rational mind couldn't cope with it because he wanted to to have not Lord Baal, but Lord Reason as as his Lord and God in his home. And because he was so concerned that science had to be number one, he's like, you know... Where's my, where are my scissors? And so he got a Bible. He literally got a Bible, children, and he snipped out bits of the Bible. Snip, 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 snip. If I had it, planned it, I could, I could have done it, but I wouldn't want to actually damage a real Bible. Snip, 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 snip. And let me take out from the Bible all the bits of the Bible that I like. And he stuck it in a new Jefferson Bible that you can go and see in his, uh, his house in uh, Virginia. And... Uh, the Jefferson Bible, the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth, it's his, the, his Bible. He wanted to worship of God exactly of his own liking. We'll get rid of that bit, we'll have this bit, thank you very much. What a foolish thing to do. To do. There's one real message of uh, Judges 1 and 2. In fact, the whole book of Judges, the big message, uh, friends, for our studies today, or studies today, is Jesus wants to be Lord over every area of your life, not just some of it. We've said that the whole Bible is about Jesus beginning to end, every chapter, every verse, it's all pointing to Jesus. And so too our lives. Every single area of our lives are to have Jesus as the centre and Lord. He's the Christ. He needs to be the Lord in every single area of our lives, not bits of it. Halfway discipleship, in other words, is no discipleship at all. Now, this first generation um, post-Joshua haven't fully turned away from the Lord uh, that we're going to read about in uh, Judges chapter 2, but they fail to follow him fully. They're not following him fully. So so in chapter 2, we get a kind of second intro to the book of Judges. Let's uh, turn our eyes down to verse 6 very briefly. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for them. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, a good, ripe old age, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Now, he's the first leader since Joseph to be buried In the promised land, the land of his inheritance. What a great thing. And then suddenly rebellion occurs in verses 10 to 11. What do we read? Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Not so much they didn't know about, although they maybe hadn't heard the stories. They didn't know it personally. They didn't love what God had done. He'd rescued us. He saved us. It means nothing to them. And as a result of forgetting the gospel, the truths that, they've been, that they, their families have experienced, what happened, verse 11, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. You need to know the truth and you need to live the truth. It's possible, isn't it, to know the truths, but actually still to, to not live with those truths. That's hypocrisy. When you know the truths, you don't live them. And it's equally possible to, uh, to live in a kind of moral way but to not 
be inspired and driven by the truth. That's, that's moralism. Legalism, you could say. Well, Christianity is to, to live and to love the truths, to know the truths of our faith and to work them through in our lives and to say no to serving Baal. I'm leading a, a, a group reading through the uh, uh, biography of Tim Keller. We, we get together early on a Wednesday morning and uh, an illustration was given in the last chapter we read that uh, was once shared with him. And it's an illustration about how uh, when, uh, when you become a Christian, Jesus needs to be your saviour and your Lord. Both saviour and Lord. And the illustration is, imagine, you know, um, I went around your house and he said, hi there, Dave Gobbit has come to tea. And you say, no, I'll have Dave in, but not Gobbit. Excuse me? I'm Dave Gobbit. No, you can, I'll have Dave here, but not the Gobbit can stay outside. That's ridiculous. Children, isn't that really stupid? You, I am Dave Gobbit. And you have the Dave, you have the Gobbit. You have the Gobbit, you have the Dave. They go together. You can't have Jesus without Lord. You can't have saviour without Lord. So you can say, I want him to save me from my sins, forgive me for what I've done, and give me a place in heaven, thank you very much. But actually, no, he's not going to be my Lord. He's not going to be my, uh, he's not going to be in charge of every single area of my life. He's not going to be number one where he needs to be in every area of my life. Well, these generation had somehow or other forgotten God. This is why... Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, it's so clear that uh, uh, Moses teaches parents. The most important thing you can possibly do, parents, if you're here today, think how you're teaching this to your kids. Teaching it, modelling it to your children. Teaching them to love God and to know his ways and, and modelling a love for God and a love of his ways too. But the people had forgotten God. Alistair Payne is a, a minister in Cambridge. He quotes one writer, Let the scriptures cease to be heard. And soon, the remembered Christ becomes an imagined Christ, shaped by the religiosity and unconscious desires of the worshippers. That really strikes. Let me say that again. Let the scriptures cease to be heard, and soon the remembered Christ becomes an imagined Christ, shaped by the religiosity and unconscious desires of the worshippers. As individuals and churches, and dare I say it, denominations, start to close the Bible and start to forget what God has said. So the remembered Christ, as we study and learn, becomes an imagined Christ. A, a Christ of our imagination. Oh, I'd like to think of Jesus like this, like that. And, uh, and in so many churches today, sad to say, all you hear on a Sunday is basically a vaguely religious version of whatever public opinion is out there on Radio 4 about 20 years too late. And that's all you get in most churches, I hate to say. And Christians and churches that should be the light of the world, proclaiming the truth of God to the world, have become a mirror to the world, just reflecting it back, only in a bit of a grubby way and not as interesting and sparkling way. Nothing distinct. And so is it any wonder that people are turning off and tuning off and leaving their churches at at their droves. It's always striking, isn't it, if ever you visit a war memorial. Those words are carved on almost every war memorial, lest we forget. We could do with carving them on, the, on the, the pulpits of every church, lest we forget. That's why we're so committed here at Highfield to studying the Bible. Even the weird and the hard and the challenging bits, like the book of Judges, over the summer months and teaching it to children and whoever we can. We must not be complacent. And then we get in verses uh, 10 to 19 what uh, 
people sometimes call the, the judges' cycle. So that, that one point on the screen, Jesus wants to be Lord over every area of life, not just some of it. That's our main message. That's the one-point message today. But just by way of kind of introduction to the rest of the book of Judges, we're going to quickly study the judges' cycle. And the judges' cycle is repeated again and again over the course of uh, the book. And uh, we see uh, the first part of the judges' cycle is the rebellion cycle. So let's uh, read that verse again. This is verses 10 to 13. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baal and the Ashtoreths. The absolute folly of idolatry, worshipping created things instead of the creator. Turning created things that are often good things into God things. Turning a friendship that is a good thing into something you desire and long for and have to have. Turning a a hope for the future for your children, perhaps. They're good things to to desire, but if they're the ones you obsess over and crave more than anything else, they've become an idol. I wonder what the idols are, the temptations around us that we're tempted to say, Jesus, you can be my saviour. I don't want you to be Lord there. Over the phone, over the... Use of food. Am I eating too much? Am I eating in a way that is just a bit gluttonous? And what I watch on TV or on Netflix late at night, I surf and allow myself to be polluted by. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He's not Lord of all. He's not Lord at all. You give up on calling him Lord. Verse 17, yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worship them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. But when the judge died, the people returned, this is verse 19, to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. This is a cycle. Actually, it's a spiral down. It goes down and down and down. It gets a re- it's very grim towards the end of the book. That's the first stage. The next stage is what we might call retribution, which is a long word, children, but that really is to do with um, the fact that the people of Israel were enslaved by God as a punishment for their rejecting of him. So they rebel against God, they reject him, and then they are enslaved, and they are uh, taken over by the nations around them. So uh, here we're going to look at verse 14, because this little section uh, to 10 to 19 is a summary of all of this. Uh, so verse 14, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were not able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Retribution, a tragedy. The people of God who should have known blessing in the promised land are back in slavery, plundered again just like they were in Egypt. Stage three, request. This is maybe a bit too weak a word, but it starts with R, so we're going to use it. (laughs) Request. Crying out, pleading with God. Have a look. They were in great distress, end of verse 15, or flick over a page, you get it clear in chapter three, verse nine. They were in great distress, same word, and then we get in verse nine, um, 
But they, when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel. We'll learn about him a little bit next week with Ahud as well. So they call out to God, cry out to God for mercy. Because who wouldn't want to call out to God for mercy? When you're on your knees, you're broken. And so many of us have been in our lives at times when we feel completely broken. We call out to God and do you know what? God hears. And he loves to answer our prayers. He's not going to say, oh, you, you made your bed, you sleep in it. I'm not going to listen to your cries for mercy. His is a throne of grace. We can find mercy in our time of need. And so, throughout the book of Judges, he raises up rescuers. And uh, we read in 2.16, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. They're on their knees, they're broken, their backs are killing, they've lost everything, they call to God, God help, and God helps. He sends someone to rescue them out of the hands of raiders. Note it's God who raises up the, the judges. Again, be careful to think, you know, the judges aren't the heroes of the book of Judges, they are fallen heroes, but it's the faithful God who is the one who brings salvation and who raises the judges up. And the result of that is rest. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. The Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. And so as long as a judge lived, there was rest and peace. And the promised land was doing promised land kind of things for them. But then the judge would die and they would rebel again and the circle would continue and round and round and round you'd go. And all the way through the book of Judges, you're thinking to yourself, we need a rescuer who's not going to die. We need a rescuer who's not going to cause us to keep going round the cycle, who will be the saviour to deal with our greatest need to work on our heart, to crush the serpent, and to live forevermore. And of course we have one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is in every part of every story and wants to be Lord in every single area of our life. He is the Lord. He died, he rose again, he reigns. We've sung about him so much this morning. He has conquered death. He is our true Saviour King. And he says, I'll rescue you if you come to me. But you can't have Jesus without Lord. You can't have Saviour without Lord. So again, I'm going to ask that question we began with. Are there areas in your life where Jesus, maybe you say, oh, he's my Saviour, but he's not my Lord. I'm not prepared for him to be number one of that. Or if, if he started to say, that, yeah, I'm, I'm number one there and that bit needs to change. This last week, uh, uh, our family have been away at a, a conference, a uh, UFM family conference. And the uh, UFM is a missionary organisation. It supports a number of the missionaries we support. Hugh and Alison Williams in Italy, uh, sorry, in Ireland, and uh, Tom and Neris King out in, in uh, Thailand. And it was utterly inspiring meeting missionaries, basically all week, and their children, who have given up everything to serve Jesus all over the world in some of the hardest places. You know, Tajikistan, you know, a couple with their two boys, two of my kids' age. Just, don't see grandparents, don't see cousins, uncles and aunts. You know, serving people with the gospel. People who've moved to Italy, struggling with language learning, or Barcelona, struggling with language learning. Single women moving to France or Italy or Spain, wanting to serve Jesus. 
couple who've lived their lives in sub-Saharan Africa, seeking to mobilise the church to get the gospel into northern Africa. Inspiring stories, everyone. Everyone, Jesus is Lord, not just of Sundays, not just of Bible time, not just of eternity for them. He's Lord of their wallet. He's Lord of their phone. He's Lord of their future. He's Lord of their families. Imagine, you, imagine telling your parents, I'm take, we're taking the grandchildren, we're, we're never, we never see you again. That's why I know friends doing that. That's, that is incredible. Why would you do that? It's because he's Lord of all. He's the rescuer who lives forevermore. And who says, I want to come into your life as saviour, yes, but you can't have saviour without Lord. And uh, we're not accommodating idols here. We're not having a little shrine to this Lord Bar, Lord Popularity, Lord Social Media, Lord Money, Lord Retirement, Lord Freedom, Lord Control. The idols have got to go. I've got to be number one. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Let's have a moment of quietness and then I'll pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. It's challenging to read. And it's just a mirror. It reminds us of our lives so often. How you give us rest, and then we turn away from you. And then we face your frown, and then we call to you. You give mercy, and then we have rest, and we turn away again. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the one who has crushed the serpent's head. He is died, he's risen again, and he is Lord of all. And we pray, please, would we allow him every room in our homes, every space in our hearts, every area of our lives. Take away the idols, take away the distractions, take away the temptations, we pray. We thank you for our Saviour King. We thank you that he is the King who has died and has risen again, never to die again. And he'll always reign and rule and save and give grace and mercy in our time of need. Give us grace and mercy right now, we pray, the different pressures we face, and give us strength to serve. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.